had friends here who have said, oh, I wanted to try Botox, so I went for the first time, and then my eyebrow is now halfway across my forehead. And I've never heard that happening <laughs> in Korea. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Michelle Lee, Editor-in-Chief of Allure. In this episode of the Allure podcast, I'll be interviewing my good friends, Christine Chang and Sarah Lee, the founders of Glow Recipe. Five years ago, at the beginning of the K-beauty boom here in the U.S., they launched Glow Recipe as a curated commerce site to educate people and bring Korean beauty products stateside. They eventually pivoted, launching their own namesake brand of products. Christine and Sarah are two of my go-to experts when it comes to all things K-beauty. I always learn something new from them. Stick around to learn all of their skincare secrets. This episode is made possible by AbbVie. Painful periods, pelvic pain in between periods, pain with sex, not fun to talk about, but it's important to speak up because it could be endometriosis. Symptoms are different for every woman and not all women have all three. Talk to your doctor and visit speakendo.com to learn more. Sponsored by AbbVie. Hey everyone, it's Michelle. I am so excited to be joined by Christine and Sarah, the amazing founders of Glow Recipe today. It's a really cold winter day, but you guys look amazing and I am staring at your skin because it's glowing. Of Aww. course. <laughs> your skin is glowing too, Michelle. Why, thank you. It's skincare and pregnancy. <laughs> so I always really like starting these off with talking about childhood and like where people grew up. Where where did you both grow up? So I grew up in Louisiana. My dad was doing his graduate studies there at the time. And then I moved back to Korea around 10. Did my middle school years there and then went to boarding school in Australia. So just all over the place. And then came back to the States for college. Wow. I grew up in Seoul, but also I went to school in Hong Kong. My dad was an expat there, so our whole family moved there. And I went to an international school there when I first learned my English. And then we all went back to Korea I went to college in Korea, started working for L'Oreal in Korea, and then I was sent over to the New York office. And that's where you both met. Yeah, exactly. Right? Did you become instant friends? Yes, because, so this was my first day on the job. It was actually L'Oreal in Korea. And I come in as an intern. Sarah had been there for six months, I think, yeah. at the time. And I think we were coffee buddies or something like this. We were meeting quite frequently. Like a, men, like a yes, buddy system? like a buddy system. <laughs> and... I would go to her very often for advice. We would go down for a coffee and just talk, and it just really blossomed into a friendship. At what point did you know that you wanted to start something together? It was very organic. So we were both working in L'Oreal, New York office. At the time, Christine was working in and did you both did you both move it together? We didn't plan it, but we moved at the same time to New oh, York. wow. Yeah. Which is also really crazy if yeah. you think about it. It's meant to be. It's meant to be. Christine was working in Kiehl's in product development. I was at the time working in L'Oreal Paris for product development as well. One night we were catching up over sheet masking and drinking wine at my apartment in New York. And we realized that we were both working on projects that were K-beauty inspired or K-beauty technology inspired. So we just had this moment, aha moment, thinking, oh my God, we're doing this. We're bringing K-beauty technology. We're branding these under different brand names. We're bicultural and bilingual, and we have this experience in Korean beauty. Should we do this ourselves? That was how it started. Is it crazy to think about now because K-beauty is everywhere at this point, right? But to even think mm -hmm. five years ago, it was not at all this way. When you were first having these thoughts, besides in Korea, what do you think that people here knew about Korean beauty? Do we know anything? 
at the time, there were some articles. So mm-hmm. there was a little bit about the K-beauty trend and yeah. more articles that kind of almost exoticized it in terms of... Right, this weird Korean tent step. weird, exactly, yep. weird ingredient like snail or something like that versus really delving into what the philosophy was. So that was really a catalyst for us too because we grew up knowing these brands, having used these brands. So we wanted to bring over things that we really used and were passionate about in the right way. Because at the time, there were some brands being brought over, but we felt like it was very promotional, very packaging-driven versus really telling the story about what the brand formulation philosophy was. Yeah, well, I feel like it is sort of people's first impression of K-beauty. Back in the day, it was like, oh, they're the things with like pandas and cute things on them, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And as brand marketers, that kind of pained us because... That's not a long-term direction. You know, if you want Korean beauty to be a long-lasting, not even a category, long-lasting thing that actually impacts everyone's skin and helps people, it has to have more depth to it. Yeah. So we felt this need and this sense of mission to help educate things that actually mean something bigger than kitschy or cute, but actually helps to change the skin. Yeah. Okay, going back to childhood also, I know that in Korea... People just have a different outlook on what beauty is, and especially skincare. Can you both talk about living in Korea when you were younger? How did that inform who you are now and how you treat your skin? Is it truly that our kids at a very young age learning about skincare? Yeah, absolutely. One of my earliest memories of my mother doing skincare is she had had a long day, so she came home. She took out some yogurt, honey, green tea powder, Jobs Tears powder, mixed it all up, and just did a DIY face mask. Wait, and what's Jobs Tears powder? It's like a, I guess, a type of grain. People drink it a lot oh. for healthful purposes. Good for sore throat. Mm. Yes, and she would put the mask on her face, and then she would give me a dollop too, and we would mask together and talk. And it's just such a positive kind of self-care experience that we would do together. And she was just very passionate about our skincare routine, but it was never a chore. And I remember that attitude towards skincare. I think that's what affected me the most. Yeah. Yeah, same here. I mean, I watched even as a very, very young child, every night my mom just sitting at her vanity with her few steps of skincare, but really patting it all in. And I remember that sound very distinctively. I would know that that's when my mom is going into that mode of like self-care and like her me time. And I watched her pat in skincare all the way to the neck and decollete. And that was really interesting to me. And I watched it every single night. And I think naturally she also wanted to involve me in skincare. So we did a lot of DIY, like Christine was saying. We did cucumber masking to brighten skin. We actually um, used watermelon leftovers after eating the fruit and put them in bottles to spritz it on our face as toners. And then we would go to public bathhouses with our grandmother, actually, every weekend. And then we would splash milk because it really helps to brighten and strengthen the skin barrier. And sometimes get the scrubbing. I'm sure you've experienced it in Korean spas. It's very intense. It's very intense, but it was a regular routine for us. Both of you have talked about a lot of DIY, right? Do you remember as kids there being packaged products too around the house? Yes, absolutely. So there were a lot of local Korean brands that women were using, but also brands from abroad. I think it's recently in Korea, actually, like probably in the last 10 years where local brands have had such a resurgence because the customer is very sophisticated and demanding there. And I think local brands were better able to keep up with that innovation, come out with new ideas, new formats, whether that was splash masks or press serums or all these exciting new categories that we've been seeing recently. 
Besides Korean spas, were you also as kids or even just knowing other kids getting other treatments? Like, was it normal for kids in Korea to get facials and to get other things? Not necessarily facials, but we would do, we would sheet masks together. Mm -hmm. So I remember um, as a kid, as a teenager, we would have these little sessions with our friends, gather in each other's houses and have a spa day. And that was just literally using like a $1 sheet mask and lying down together. And that was just the most fun part of our friendship. That's amazing. I know. I remember at some point when I was a kid, too, like you always see pictures of people with like the cucumbers on their eyes. We did that. We sliced up a cucum- some cucumbers, put them on our eyes. We felt so fancy. <laughs> very spa. <yes. laughs> okay. So when you both started Glow Recipe, it was very different from how it is now. Can you talk a little bit about those early days? And was it just you sitting in an apartment, figuring it all out? Like, how did it all come about? So we were lucky to find a very small office online. I think it was a site called Pivot Desk, which is now defunct. And it literally rented out empty office spaces from other companies. So it was this recycling company that answered our email. And we found a tiny office in the back. And that's how we started. We were packing boxes there. We were writing handwritten notes in every single package. We were sending out emails to press. And at the time, it was not your own products. You were importing products from Korea. So we started off with a curation business because we saw some amazing indie brands that we were passionate about and wanted to bring over. And we would go and vet these brands individually, see their manufacturing processes, meet the founders, really understand them before being brought over. But from the beginning, the philosophy was always to do clean, harsh-free K-beauty. And... The market at the time, I think, was very open to K-beauty, but there was so much education that was needed. So we also started a blog at the same time where we talked about it doesn't have to be a 10-step. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. Here's how you find your routine. Here's the difference between a toner and an essence. And so that really took off. Yeah, it's really funny because with all those dis- different steps now, I still get people asking me, what is essence? I think I always assume that people know, but they don't. Yeah. <laughs> if you could, I guess, describe K-beauty and more specifically even Korean skincare to somebody. Someone had once said to me, again, you don't have to use all the steps, but the reason for all the steps is that they're very gentle. How would you sort of encapsulate what Korean skincare specifically means? So Korean skincare is beyond product. Um, I think it's a movement and an approach. It's very holistic, which is, I think, a key point of difference versus a Western approach, where it's all about being preventative. It's all about really trying to listen to your skin versus giving it the skin type that you want to categorize or segment it in, because every skin is different. And every day is different. You might feel extra dull or extra tired one day, And then the next day, you might feel a little bit more plump, so you don't necessarily need that extra hydration. So it's all about empowering every audience that we have in community to be educated and be able to make these choices that are geared towards and tailored towards what they need and what their skin needs. And our philosophy has always been that K-beauty approach, but also saying you actually don't need to feed your skin what it doesn't need, Mm -hmm. which is why we really coined the term harsh-free in a way within K-beauty. And that didn't exist five years ago. And I think now that term is clean. We didn't really use that term at the time, but we really believed in making sure that your skincare in terms of formulation, the approach is holistic. Mm -hmm. And what do you consider to be harsh? Because I think different people have different ideas about it. Is it certain types of acids? Is it harsh scrubs? Is it anything toxic? What What do you consider to be harsh? 
We love this question. So it's a combination of all the things you mentioned. And Sarah and I have done marketing and product development our whole lives. And I think over the years, we've crafted our own formulation philosophy in terms of what we want in our products and what we don't want in our products. So just as a baseline, no parabens, no mineral oils, no sulfates or synthetic dyes. And then in terms of actives, I think it's such an interesting question because actives are on fire right now. Everyone loves their actives. But Once again, just making sure you're not chasing after the highest percentage of actives is so important. It has to be a measured, balanced approach. And as you introduce actives into your routine, you need to listen to your skin because if your skin feels shiny or tight or dry, it's telling you things. Yeah. We ran a story a month or two ago about skin types and about how it is time to blow up those old beliefs of what your skin is because we don't all fit neatly into these nice little buckets of oily, dry. Mm -hmm. We're basically all combination, Mm -hmm. but it's also taking a look at skin color, your genetics, other things. I feel like there are probably people listening who are like, how the heck do I know my skin? Because I actually spent my most of my life thinking that I was extremely oily mm-hmm. and actually I'm extremely dry. So I feel like I've just through time and using a lot of different products, I've gotten better at understanding my own skin. And I, I use the philosophy of having a skincare wardrobe, which I think that you've <laughs> talked about before, where I do assess in the morning and at night, okay, let me add a little bit of this, let me add a little bit of that. But it's taken time. How mm-hmm. do you suggest that people learn their skin more and understand how to treat certain things? Yeah, I think it takes time. Um, Just like your body, your skin is an extension of that. And I don't think we all understand exactly every single day what our body actually feels. You kind of have to really listen to it. You have to like take the time to give it that customized approach. You have to think about your lifestyle. You have to think about where you are in your life cycle. It's the same for skincare for us. So Again, the whole holistic approach applies here as well. You know, have you traveled a lot recently? Are you going through some phase in your life where there's a lot of stress? Have you been using a lot of acids recently and you're seeing a lot of breakouts? And then there's some other indicators. You know, you're using your daily routine that has worked for you for a long time, but now you're all of a sudden you're seeing breakouts or your skin just acting up. Then that's the that's the time where you have to say, okay, let me take a step back and really see what I have been doing from a lifestyle approach. Yeah. Okay. So using that as an example, if because this has definitely happened to me, I mm-hmm. took a trip, and I think I was in Europe for maybe two weeks. I came back. Part of it was absolutely diet because I was eating mm. too many croissants. I was <laughs> oh. having too much rosé. <laughs> it was wonderful, but my skin also hated me. If you find that after you're traveling or something else that you're breaking out, what would the first step be? Obviously, change certain things in your lifestyle. But from a skincare perspective, what would you do? Mm, I think it would be a soothing approach for me personally and a Mm -hmm. hydration approach because traveling does really dry out the skin. The inside of an airplane is supposed to be drier than the Sahara Desert, which is a scary stat. And so I just really, really layer on the gentle hydration versus going after a lot of exfoliation or something too harsh. And what ingredients would you be looking at? Would you be doing like a hyaluronic acid serum? Would you be sheet masking? Sheet masking, definitely. Hyaluronic acid serum, glycerin is another great ingredient, just lots of humectants, and then soothing botanical extracts. Like Sika, turmeric are really good ones that are pretty general for everybody. So we recommend those. Well, when I think about your own products, which now that Glow Recipe has sort of shifted and it's less about curation and more about your own products, what I love is that there's such an emphasis on fruits and vegetables, right? We see watermelon, we see avocado, 
Can you explain what some of these ingredients do? I know you were talking before about your childhood and misting with watermelon. I definitely love your watermelon mist. My kids also love it because they're like, oh, it smells so good. (laughs) And we were on vacation. I think we were in Turks and Caicos and I was using it on them. So it now brings back these wonderful memories of they feel like they're on vacation whenever they smell it. Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Yeah, so watermelon is the first OG fruit that we introduced in our range. And the original inspiration was that we both grew up with our grandmothers rubbing watermelon rind on our backs, especially when we had heat rashes or irritation over hot summer months in Korea. And it's actually a pretty common and popular ritual in Korea. So we kind of like joked about it and we were thinking, oh my God, why aren't we using this for everybody else because we love to eat it. Everyone loves the fruit. And so we dug into it a little bit deeper and we learned that it is one of the most powerfully antioxidant-rich fruits out there. It is super hydrating, but it's also packed with amino acid, vitamins, and it's very soothing. It does wonders for all types of skin, actually, and actually gives hydration a very lightweight form. So we wanted to maximize the fruit as much as possible, which is why we added over 50% of watermelon extract and actual fresh fruit in the entire formula. And that's how it all started. Amazing. And what about avocado? So avocado is linoleic acid rich, oleic acid rich, just really, really amazing to nourish the skin. Avocado is actually used in a lot of DIY formulations Mm -hmm. and it can get pretty messy. So we wanted to make sure we were leveraging. It's not cute sometimes. It's not. So we wanted to leverage all the best parts of the fruit, but in a way that made it just easier for people to be able to experience that nourishment. It's like a face hug. Yeah. Okay. So you both have such amazing skin. Oh. Walk me through your routines. And I feel like, am I right that most people, when they ask you questions about K-beauty, they're asking about skincare? Mm. I feel like most of the questions that I get about, like, anything, it's skincare. Even though everyone obviously loves makeup, and I do feel like makeup in K-beauty is its own category also. Do you feel like most of the questions that you get are skincare? Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so walk me through your routines. In the morning, it's sort of ridiculous that we do ask this still of, like, how many steps, but it's kind of like a natural yeah. thing. Have you experimented through time? Is it sort of like a daily thing? How many steps you have? Like, yeah. h- how do you determine So for me, every day is different because my skin is very combination. It can get really oily on my T-zone and super dry on my U-zone. And my neck is showing some signs of aging recently. So there's a lot on my mind every day. But the first thing I do when I wake up is I have a mist, the watermelon mist, right by my bed. So I would just mist as soon as I wake up. And then I would walk over to the bathroom and use the watermelon glow sleeping mask as a wash-off mask. So I would put that on. Yeah, it's actually amazing as a pre-makeup treatment because it just smooths the skin, refines the pores. And would you leave it on for like 10, 15 minutes? Five minutes. Okay. I don't really have much time in the morning, so I'm trying to maximize every minute I've got. So while I have it for five minutes, I would brush my teeth and check a couple of emails, and then I would wash it all off with the Blueberry Bounce Gentle Cleanser. Any cleanser works in this case. That's when you really reveal that soft, smooth skin. So I love, we call this cheek flicking. I kind of do this to my cheeks and you see that it bounces back. (laughs) That's like fun to do on babies too. Yeah, exactly. Then I would tone again with the mist. It's really quick because I don't want to ever leave my skin dry. 
and then go on to the serum step, which is a pineapple bright C serum, which is our vitamin C treatment. And then moisturize. Recently, I've been loving the banana souffle moisture cream that we launched. It's really soothing. And recently, I've seen a lot of redness on my skin. So that's been the moisturizer. But but prior to launching that, I've used pink juice moisturizer, which Mm has 90% watermelon every single morning. And I'm assuming you do a sunscreen every day? Every day. Okay. We don't have a sunscreen in our range, but um, one of our favorite sunscreens is from this Korean brand called Make Prem, which we used to curate. And there's a sunscreen called Blu-ray Sun Gel, which really helps to smooth hydrate while protecting the skin. So we've been loving that. Is it a clear gel? It's actually a lotion type Mm -hmm. cream, but it just it's so lightweight it almost dissolves right away. I actually have it in my bag because I like to reapply it after lunch. Yes. Well, (laughs) that's a really good point because we always hear that when we're at the beach or something, Mm -hmm. right? You have to reapply your your sunscreen all the time. Mm -hmm. But then a lot of us for daily use, we apply it once in the morning and then kind of forget about it. It's hard to apply it over makeup, but the consistency of the sunscreen, we just like gently press it into the skin on top of makeup if needed. Interesting. I'm looking at both of your skin and you have like no dark spots or freckles or anything. When it comes to sun care, have you just your entire lives been really diligent about it? Not even just wearing sunscreen, but also seeking shade, wearing hats. Like, do you think that that was just ingrained in you? Oh, yeah. We were trained from our mothers from a very, very young age to never leave the house without sunscreen on. Never. (laughs) And she would bring it around to apply, reapply in the car or when we're outside all the time. She does that to our dad. (laughs) It's just a thing. And we don't expect anything else from her at this point. Um, (laughs) When we're in cars, we would try and cover the windows with our clothes sometimes. My mom used to wear gloves when she's driving to cover her hands from getting that sun exposure. Hats always, you know, those visor hats. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sunglasses all the time. And then when we fly a lot and we we try to always keep those windows down as well. Wow, good for you. We're taking off. That one's a bad one because you're so high up. The exposure levels are really high. That's a really good point. I know because we talk about it in terms of cars because I I drive. Mm -hmm. And so I know they've done studies that show that like the driver's side, like your left side gets so much more sun exposure. It's hard though because I think here, like for me growing up, we just didn't wear sunscreen as kids Mm -hmm. all the time. And so now I'm sort of dealing with that. So I feel like we all need to learn your approach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's funny though because if you go, I was in Japan last summer and it was really hot Mm. and just seeing everyone walking around with umbrellas too, it's just something that we don't do here because we're not really thinking about the constant sun exposure. Is there also an emphasis on, I know you were just talking, Sarah, about your mom and hands. Is there also an emphasis on skincare on the body as much? So I think it's changed a lot. I think the focus used to be much more on the face. But these days, there's been some amazing body brands come out in Korea with like differentiated approaches and different textures and kind of transformative textures that make the experience really sensorial. And some really beautiful hand creams, actually, now that you mention it. One was a brand from, I think, Tambourines, right? From Gentle Monster has this really beautiful hand cream that looks like a sculpture. And I think people are really taking it further. The neck, of course, was always part of the face, but like taking it down even further. Yeah, got it. Okay, let's say you're getting ready for the red carpet. You're going to go to the Met Gala. Is there a special event skincare routine that you would do? Or would you sort of just, similar to how you do every day, assess your skin and kind of proceed from there? 
So assess your skin and proceed from there would be applied to everything. But I think a good makeup prep wash-off mask really changes the game. I mean, I think after experimenting with our watermelon glow sleeping mask or any wash-off mask that has a little bit of glycolic acid and then additional hydrating ingredients so that your skin is plump but still refined, I think that's a really nice balance for that morning because you don't want to take a risk with a highly concentrated active ingredient or something that you haven't ever tried before. So on my wedding day, for example, I tried (laughs) this mask that was a wash-off that was amazing to refine the skin. I got married in Hawaii and I actually did my own makeup. So it was important that it was. (laughs) That's amazing. It was important that I use a good mask that morning. Awesome. Well, I also listened to another podcast that you both were on and you were talking about even how to dry your face after a shower. (laughs) Is that something where I actually I tried doing it. So basically, I think you were saying on the podcast to not really towel off in a harsh way because it's too harsh on your skin, but to really just like let your air, let your face air dry. It's hard because <laughs> it's like, I think I don't like having a wet face. So sometimes I'm like just fanning myself. Is that something that you do all the time? All the time. So my friends joke that I don't have towels in the bathroom because it's a couple of things. So the towel hangs near your toilet yeah. and toilets have, you know, a splash radius if you don't keep the cover religiously down at all times. And that can contaminate your towel, which then can contaminate your face. And so to minimize any risk of that, I started, and my mom taught me this, I started just patting in right after cleansing so that the water is just being right absorbed. And then I do it until my skin is damp but not dripping wet anymore. And what I found is that this actually makes the skin consistency more bouncy and plump. And I feel like skin is even better able to absorb the next skincare steps because it's almost like a wet sponge versus Mm -hmm. a dry sponge. Yeah, It's also great to actually prevent any friction Because when you're rubbing your skin with a towel or anything, rubbing is just something that we never want to do. But towels can cause micro tears as well. So it's something that could potentially sensitize the skin over time. Yeah. Are there, besides the padding in water when your face is wet, are there any other tips that you can think of that you've either told people and they're like, wow, that's a really interesting thing. Like what other things should we be doing? So we talked about seven skin method um, for a long time, and we both swear by it. What is that? Um, So (laughs) it's a really funny phrase, the seven skin method. Skin in Korean can actually mean toner as well. It's very interesting. They think toners can be your second skin. So this essentially means you're layering in your toner seven consecutive times. And this was a trend that started, I think, two and a half years ago in Korea. Oh, I have heard this, yes. And it went viral, but it stayed. People are obsessed with layering toners that are hydrating, don't have these toxic ingredients, harsh-free, clean ingredients are what's required because you're really force-feeding that onto your skin multiple times. But the idea is this is your first step after washing your face as a liquid treatment that actually penetrates into your skin layers. So you want to actually give it that thin, lightweight layer and pat that all in seven consecutive times and then move on to the next step. And this was really... How long are you waiting after each layer? We're not really waiting because you're just patting it all in. And because the toner amount, you're not really pouring it onto your skin. It's, it's It's a dollop. So it absorbs pretty quickly. And then after five to seven times, you can you can really visibly see how glowy your skin is. It helps with better makeup absorption. If you have oily skin, this is really a lightweight way to moisturize your skin intensely mm-hmm. without going thick or clunky. If you have super dry skin, this is a good way to just keep that foundation strong. 
Can you talk a little bit about toner, what mm-hmm. the difference is between toner and essence? And also, I think toner nowadays means different things to different brands yes. and different people. And I think there are some toners that are really harsh and stripping, and that's not great. But when you speak about toner, what are you talking about? So toner in Korea is like the first leave-on liquid step of hydration versus in the States, originally it used to be kind of the second step of cleansing. You would wipe away the residue of your cleansing with like a cotton pad. And with K-Beauty, because you've already done your due diligence with either a 60-second foam cleanse or the double cleanse, your face is already clean. So this is where you start leaving on the hydration versus removing any residue. Exactly. So the formulations tended to be very different in the past where K-Beauty toners were more bouncy, more viscous, more hydrating. Western toners tended to have a lot of alcohol in them because of that stripping to make sure that you were really clarifying the right. skin. People at a certain time wanted like a squeaky clean yeah. feeling. Absolutely, yep. like the sea breeze. <laughs> and I think the the modern approach to toners is kind of in the K-beauty realm where it offers you plenty of hydration in that first step because once again, if skin is kind of compared to a sponge, that wet sponge will help you really absorb all the nutrients and steps coming afterwards. Yeah. And in that sense though, is toner different from essence? Yes, because... I think it's a difference in textures and also a difference in approach. But you know what? Toners and essences can be, I've seen products interchangeably called both. Mm -hmm. And I think the way you really distinguish is that toner is maybe a little bit more lightweight than an essence, which Mm -hmm. can have even more treatment benefits. And if you layered on seven layers of toner, would you still do essence after? I don't think I would. I think I would be cleansing seven layers of toner or just one, depending on how your skin feels, and then move on to treatment. Mm Mm-hmm. There's this myth that it's a marketing word because in Korea, essence was used as a serum word, just like skin was the word for toner. So there's different terms. And then when K-beauty was blowing up, the term essence kind of translated in different forms, actually. Mm -hmm. But our definition is that it's interchangeable with a, a treatment step. You don't need to layer an essence and a serum and then a moisturizer. You can have an essence that's as potent and active driven And then you can just skip the serum step and move on to the moisturizer step. But we've seen essences in so many different formats. So it could be an oil and essence. It could be an essence toner. Then what does that mean? You know, it really depends on what the ingredients are and the textures are and what the brand is really trying to tell the story about the skincare routine. But as a general term, we think it's interchangeable with the serum. Got it. There was one tip we had told our customers or community about how to tell the difference, and it was actually the bottle format. So if it's in a drop, like a neck bottle Mm -hmm. with a small hole, it's more closer to a toner because there are treatment essences out there that are closer to a toner. And if it's in a dropper bottle or a pump, kind of like a serum, it's closer to a serum. So Interesting. I know it's all, everything's all blending together. It really is. <laughs> a lot of hybrid products. Yeah. And then how, how many days a week do you mask? And obviously masking is a different thing because you can have a wash off mask, a leave on mask, a sheet mask. Is this something that you're doing every day? Are you waiting for weekends as a special treat? How, how are you looking at masks? I mask every day <laughs> because how did I know? <laughs> <laughs> because there are different forms of masks. So when I don't have time, like you know, I said earlier about my morning routine, I would use a wash-off mask and that would be my mask of that day. 
When I have longer time, I would use a sheet mask, use that as my treatment step, and then moisturize and seal all of that in. And then I would feel so great about myself. <laughs> and then sometimes I use my sleeping mask, the avocado melt um, sleeping mask, as my final step of the night routine and wake up to better skin the next morning. And sleeping masks are so easy to use. They're kind of like your moisturizer, just a little bit more intense yep. and active focused. Can I ask you a question? Because yeah. we've talked about this here. Is a sleeping mask essentially just a night cream? <laughs> we do think it's actually different because the way you formulate it would be different. With a sleeping mask, I think you have a little more leeway in terms of texture. It can, it can be a little bit more dense, for example, because you're leaving it on overnight and you really want to seal everything in. And then the actives you would use would be a little bit different because it's specifically geared for overnight use. Mm -hmm. And more treatment-based, Exactly. The way we formulated, for example, the banana souffle moisture cream was very different because it was for day and night use. And we wanted to make it very, very kind of fluid, very kind of easy to use and lightweight and whipped. And so there are differences from actives, ingredients to textures when you formulate. Mm -hmm. And Christine, how often do you mask? Oh, every day. <laughs> <laughs> I am not masking enough, apparently. <laughs> it's just the barrier to it for us, at least, is very low because we just see it as a fun way to just add on to the skincare steps before, besides just not thinking of it as this huge ordeal. And I think that thought process really helps. After the break, we'll talk about an underrated ingredient you need to try, the idea of injectables as self-care, and the inspiring eyelid trend that gives us hope. Ever feel throbbing pelvic pain, even when it's not your period? It's not in your head, and this can be caused by endometriosis. About 1 in 10 women of reproductive age have it, yet many don't know it. Speak up to your doctor and visit speakendo.com to learn more. Sponsored by AbbVie. Welcome back to the Allure podcast. Our conversation with the founders of Glow Recipe continues. Sustainability has been a huge topic here, and I think in the beauty industry across the board, is it something that is that you're finding is a very big topic in Korea also? Oh, absolutely. Korea is very obsessed with recycling, actually. I think it's the number one market in the world for food recycling. I've read this number. I think 95% of the food in Korea is recycled. It's something crazy. Yeah, so, I believe it. Yeah, and the government is very passionate about changing the approach, the attitude. And I remember spending so much time every single day recycling and making sure everything is just boxed in the right place with my parents back in the day. So it's been like a behavior for such a long time. And we're seeing with Korean manufacturers and product formulation vendors about, you know, they present new ideas and trends to us. And we've seen how they source ingredients differently, how each packaging um, element or component is really well thought out in terms of, you know, recyclable element, plastic also being recycled. So there's new, I think, evolution in terms of every aspect of sustainability and formulations as well. Interesting. Okay, I want to dive a little bit deeper into some ingredients. So... Again, I think that because we talk about beauty and skincare all the time here, as obviously you both do too, I sometimes take it for granted that people know about a lot of ingredients. And so I was talking to some other people about snail. And snail obviously has been around for quite a while. Yeah. But I think it's still seen to the mainstream as very exotic and people don't really understand mm -hmm. it. Is snail something that you think is being kind of phased out as an ingredient? Is it still as hot as it was? Why or why, why should we not be using it? So we think that snail definitely has been more on the phasing outside. 
And actually, from the very early days of our curation business, we never curated products with snail mucin in them because as we were doing our due diligence behind the brands we wanted to work with, it was hard for us to find a brand that was using snail mucin or extracting snail mucin in a way that we could agree with. Usually you have to stress the snails for them to produce more mucin, and those methods we didn't feel comfortable with. And there might be companies out there that now have found different methods or do it in a different way. But because of our philosophy to minimize or not use, you know, ingredients that have animal origins, we decided to completely forego that yeah, ingredient. Interesting. Yeah. Are there other, um, I know you were mentioning Sika before, which has become definitely like a really hot ingredient. Are there any other ingredients that you feel like are sort of new that we should be keeping an eye on? Yeah, I think minerals were underrated. We're really passionate about minerals such as magnesium. And I think because we, we're all traveling a lot, we're always stressed, we're always looking for something to soothe and rebalance our skin and body, which is why I think magnesium supplements are so trendy right now. A lot of the team members in our office actually take magnesium pills yeah. before they go to sleep. Yeah, because my husband it, too. Yeah, so so that's why we wanted to use magnesium in skincare, and that's added to the banana souffle moisture cream. But we think that it's going to be even bigger of a trend because people are really looking to rebalance, and I think that's the next trend. And in terms of, I know you've talked about skincare and beauty are really holistic. Yes. How, as we're all drinking our coffees here, <laughs> are there certain things that you feel like you've incorporated into your lifestyle to make sure that you are really taking that holistic approach? For example, do you try and avoid a lot of added sugar? Like, what are some things that you're doing? Well, the magnesium serum just mentioned is a perfect example because the lifestyle was the inspiration behind the skincare. And what I mean by that is we actually eat bananas to minimize car sickness. It helps to calm and balance the oh, stomach. I no idea. And, and that's you, because of the magnesium. It's because exactly. of the magnesium and the potassium. And so when we learned that the magnesium had this effect, we were like, wouldn't it be interesting if this was more front and center in a skincare product? Banana already has magnesium in it. So for example, our banana souffle moisture cream, we infused it with banana, but also added magnesium. And then we were also taking baths with had magnesium in it. We were using body products with magnesium in it. So it just... There's like magnesium sprays for the throat. So it's just like a natural kind of segue. So within not using ingredients that are harsh, does that also extend into treatments like microneedling, lasers, and other things? Do you feel like, like when it comes to Korean skincare, are people also into those things as well? So I find that my friends in Korea or editors in Korea that we know do get laser treatments if they feel the need for it, mm -hmm. but it's just very fluid. It depends on the skin need. I don't think it's a set thing where most people go once a week or once a month. It's not anything like that. I think microneedling, it's a little different because microneedling, the approach is a very specific one where it drives into the skin. So I've actually heard a lot of facialists in Korea advise against it. Mm -hmm. So I think... It's a little bit different. Yeah. Do you both know Devin Abelman, who's yes, on our team? Yes, of course. Okay. Yeah. So Devin is our expert on all things K-pop, but also K-beauty. And so she just wrote this wonderful story about the innovation happening in Korea with injectables. Like, I think that because of K-pop and the popularity here now, too, we hear a lot about that side of things, that there is this whole side of plastic surgery and injectables and stuff where... It's really not taboo where mm -hmm. it's sort of like, you know, you just go and it happens and it's almost like getting a facial. Can you talk about what those trends are over there and how maybe they're different from here in the States? 
That's an interesting question. I think, first of all, you're right. It's very much not taboo, and it's just considered a personal self-care choice. And I kind of like that approach. Either you choose to do it or you can choose not to do it, and either way, it's totally fine. I do think the approach is a little more subtle because I've had friends here who have said, oh, I wanted to try Botox, so I went for the first time, and then my eyebrow is now halfway across my forehead. And I've never heard that happening. (laughs) In Korea, right? It's a different look. It's just very subtle and very just minimal, if you will. Yeah, it's yeah. small enhancements. Yeah. And is it something where, again, as a young person, it's just sort of like you just go and do it? I mean, there are people that would go during their lunchtime as an express face enhancement. You know, I'm not going to lie. It's it's something that you do see in Korea. And what's really interesting is a lot of the germ offices practice that. And there are even apps that tell you it's kind of like open table for dermatologist offices in Korea where they actually, you know, see where you're at, location. You can actually filter by the rating and the types of services you want. It's very advanced there in terms of just how common it is that you can just go and get a facial or a small little injectable se- yeah. you know, session. I, I do think it's happening here too. Mm-hmm. Like I think that we're just a little bit behind where Korea is right now, but I definitely think that's happening. And in terms of men, like do you feel like even from the time that you were kids, were men as engaged in Korean beauty and skincare and everything else? Or do you feel like that's been a change that you've seen over time? So Korea is, I've heard, 25% of the global men's market. And considering the the number one market in the world of the country, that's really, it's a crazy number. And I don't know if that was so much the case when we were kids, but recently, I would say the past 10 to 15 years, men have been really much more into skincare. For a guy to use a standalone serum, a standalone SPF, potentially even a BB cream is not a big deal. Mm -hmm. And once again, I kind of appreciate that approach because you can choose to use it or you can choose not to do it, but the options are there and there's a lot of male-specific lines as well. And I think that whole movement is fascinating. Yeah, and how about makeup? Because I think that largely here... When there are new brands launching and also existing brands, people are definitely looking at the men's market. But then in terms of makeup, like we definitely know like the K-pop guys and stuff will wear some makeup. They wear BB cream, maybe some eyeliner. I definitely have heard that businessmen in Korea are also wearing makeup. Do you feel like that is a widespread trend? And do you think that it will eventually extend over here? I think so. I think Korea is just ahead of the time, like a lot of other things right now. I mean, just seeing my my father wearing a BB cream pretty much every single day is, to me, a sign of everyone else that could actually get into makeup and just making sure that the face tone is is enhanced. But in Korea, I think the approach is very natural because BB cream is essentially your SPF with just a little bit of tint. So it's just so easy for any man to grab it and look and feel better. And that's really the the point of it. You're enhancing the look to feel better, not to transform how you look. Yeah. So same goes with eyebrows. You know, as you age, you see, you know, your eyebrows fade a little bit. So we see in derm offices where they actually practice um, brow tattoos for men. And I think that's something that we're going to see more and more. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, obviously there have been men in this country wearing makeup for many, many years. But it's been really interesting to see how the industry frames it as this new growing trend and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And there's definitely like some some growth areas there. But yeah, it's been interesting. Okay, so talking about, I guess, Korean makeup in general, how do you think that the philosophy and the thought process around Korean makeup is maybe different from here in the States? 
So I think Korean makeup originally was very focused on the natural look. I'm born with this. I woke up like this. And the colors tended to be a little more subtle. So I remember back in our corporate days, a lot of the global beauty brands would have to customize their colors for Korea because the shade ranges that were here that were more electric and poppy would not do as well over there. I think now, in the past few years especially, and with the rise of a lot of YouTubers, we are seeing a lot more adventurous looks in makeup, which is really exciting because why not have fun with makeup as much as you're having fun with skincare? That's awesome. Yeah, we're also seeing that um, you know a lot of cat eye um, look is prevalent, but we see a lot of puppy eye makeup too. And that's a way to kind of have a more youthful, younger looking face. And how do you do the puppy eye look? So your eyeliner kind of faces downwards and your mascara is focused not just in the in the corner of your eye, but throughout the entire eye ah. area. So there's I think a I mistakenly trick. do that sometimes. <laughs> I get my wing kind of wrong. <laughs> but it's a very intentional look. Yeah. And you'll see that with a lot of K-pop stars. So I know for a while the like dolly look was big in Japan, but also a bit in Korea. And it's a thing that as an Asian woman, I often think about that obviously for many years we talk about like the eyelid surgery and stuff like that and people wearing eyelid tape. Do you think that anything in that sense has changed about the shape of our eyes? Like, do you think that now people are embracing more in Korea also um, the natural shape of their eyes? Definitely much more so. I think especially you can see it in actresses that are very active right now in Korea. There was an actress that was in this K-drama called Goblin, and she has a very monolid eye shape, and it's she's beautiful. And I think her fans really appreciate that about her too. And she has a very natural look. And I think much more so than, let's say, 10 years ago, the kinds of beauty, like beauty standards you see on different actresses is much more varied now. And there's definitely an appreciation of that. Yeah. I think the individuality is more embraced in a bigger way. Whereas I would say a, a few decades ago, Korea was just being westernized. It's pretty recent if yeah. you think about oh, it. Very Nin- recent. Yeah. 1950 was when the Korean War took place. And then since then, everything changed really rapidly. But before that, it was a very different world. I think during that very rapid transition, there was this admiration of bigger eyes and looking like a Western person. And then over the time, I think, you know, a lot of the globalization affected um, the Koreans because they travel all the time. It's becoming such a trend just to travel overseas in Korea. And they're seeing that they are beautiful as who they are. So there's a lot of talk around how, you know, the eyelids, um, single eyelid is more beautiful than the double eyelid and that, um, you know, enhancements on injectables and other elements are a little bit more encouraged versus actually changing the way you look. Interesting. And are you doing anything special about, I think sleep has become such a huge topic, right? One of the biggest questions that I get is, what can I do about my under eye area? I just look so tired. The first thing I say to people is sleep, (laughs) right? Is there anything that you do that you feel like is special surrounding your sleep rituals? That's a good question. I think that little elements like a silk pillowcase or, you know, just better materials for your bedding is also helpful because it also kind of minimizes the wrinkles when you wake up. But I think using a good eye cream and a good massage always helps. So we love using massage, massage tools. Always, massage helps with everything. <laughs> so wait, when you say massage tools, what what kind of tools are you talking about? We love Mount Lai's eye massage tool. It looks like a little... Snowman? 
Snowman, yeah. Really? Yeah, it's a like really it's interesting like shape. Three, like three, like two. Eight. Oh, like a figure like eight. Little. Oh. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that before. I'm so curious. Yeah, you'll have to try it. And so you just hold it at like the bottom of the snowman and then the top of it rolls? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then you just kind of swipe upwards. And is that after you put on an eye cream or eye serum? Exactly. So that it can actually roll easier and better. Mm-hmm. So we love using our avocado retinol eye cream. And then we just use that generously so that we have enough... You know, and you go all skin. the way, all the way around your eye, up to here, mm-hmm. and then sometimes above the eyebrows, right. and then we would just have this lymphatic drainage In session. Words to outwards. Always. Okay, let's talk yeah. about that because I think that lymphatic drainage and face massage has become a very big topic that yes. I'm sort of obsessed with, and so we've talked about everything from face rollers to gua sha to other things. When you think about face massage, how do you either yourselves do it, or what what do you believe works? So we do love a good gua sha session. And, and it's do you just, do it yourself or do you go do to Do it someone? ourselves because the tools out there are really amazing now. So there's also this flat tool from Mount Lai that you just kind of lay flat on your face. It kind of looks like a little jade disc and you just scrape the face, but just very gently mm-hmm. minimizing friction is key. And what do you lay right down first? A very emollient overnight mask or a cream. You need to buffer the friction. Right, because you don't want to be right. like scraping exactly. and pulling your face. And I also grab the face gently just to make sure I'm not pulling the skin mm-hmm. so that the skin is secured with my left hand and then I'm pulling very gently with my right hand. And how often would you do that? Is something that is that something that's safe to do daily? I think it is, but I like to do it when I have a little more time. So I usually do it on the weekends mm-hmm. while and watching do you Netflix. Feel like I am still learning about proper gua sha use, and I've watched a bunch of videos on how to properly do it. I definitely know a lot of people, though, who have gone and had it professionally done, and they're like, it's a miracle. Your face is just so sculpted afterwards. So I definitely want to learn more about it. Is it something where do you advise people to watch videos on how to do it? Because there is, it's a process of like how to, what direction to go in. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think what's really great about like modern brands with these tools is that they have very easy bite-sized information, educational information that you can just easily learn from, but they usually also have YouTube videos for the brand. So with Mount Lai, we were friends with the founder, so we were able to learn it directly from her, luckily. But um, she created some amazing content for how to use. And is that something that you would do in the morning as opposed to the evening? I would usually do it in the evening, but in the morning, if there's like an event I have to go to and I'm like puffy, that would be when I would do it in the morning. So, okay, going back to Glow Recipe, I mean, so much has happened for you both in the past couple of years. When you look in the next five, 10 years, where do you see Glow Recipe going? Do you see it, you know, kind of obviously keep introducing new products? Are you hoping to go into hair care, body care? Like, do you see the sky's the limit? Like, where do you want to take it? So this year was a really transitional year for us because we actually evolved from a curation business and an in-house brand to having both to solely focusing on Glow Recipe skincare. So that was around June and it was a big step for us. We, you know, took the time to inform our customers and our community and we talked to our team members about it before making the decision. But ultimately what we were seeing was that our community really wanted more innovation and products and Glow Recipe skincare from us. And for us to be able to do that as a smaller company was to focus. And looking back on that, I think it was an amazing decision because we've really been able to ramp it up in terms of what we're going to launch come 2020. So we're really excited for that. I think in the next three to five years, it's 
to continue educating on this approach where you're taking it day by day, where skincare is fun, but elevated, but efficacious, sensorial, all of these things. And it's like the best part of your day. And we know with both product, but also education and content, we can make it happen. That's awesome. Have you both, I guess from a business and a boss perspective, your team has grown. Does it all feel sort of natural to you or does it feel at all like difficult that as a boss, you know, when your team grows that quickly and when your company grows that quickly, I think it can be hard sometimes to scale and and keep track of things. Have there been challenges or has it all been just amazing and wonderful? Yeah, I mean, there's ups and downs. There's always growing pains. I would say that for growing our team, because now we have a team of 30, and as of last year, we had half of that. I would say 2019 was a year of transition and growth over anything else, because we were just establishing this flow and system and this foundation for the brand to really explode the next year. We just had our year-end meeting yesterday, and that was our message to the team. It's like, There are growing pains, you know, we're trying to create a system together, we're trying to implement a new process, and there's always a little bit of frustration when you're doing that from scratch, but at the same time, we're all part of this growth and this journey together. So in the long term, this is a really fun project because you don't really get to do that with most companies or large corporates. And then in terms of where you think that K-beauty and Korean skincare are going to go, I think that when it first became big over here, I think that some people were of the belief that, oh, it's going to be this passing trend, right? There's going to be a section of it in some stores and then it's going to go away. I am certainly not a believer of that. I truly believe it is like a whole category. It's a whole philosophy. How do you think that globally Korean beauty will continue to evolve? So we get asked that question a lot too. Is K-beauty a trend? And from the very beginning, what we've said is that our goal is to make sure that K-beauty becomes everyday. And what we mean by that is when you take a Lancome product, for example, from your vanity, you're not thinking, I just reached for my French serum. It's just part of your routine. I think we both were passionate about making sure that would happen for K-beauty as well. And we think we're we're getting there because K-beauty has, yes, become a category, but K-beauty has also become an influence. And global beauty companies, whatever the brand is, have had some type of K-beauty inspiration in their products, whether it's the name, the texture, water gel creams, bursting capsules, all of these new like innovations are now trickling down into every facet of beauty. So in a way, K-beauty is every day and everywhere now. Yeah, definitely. I could talk about skincare and K-beauty <laughs> with you both all day long. Is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with, either how to follow you, just any any asks that you have of them? I would say take it day by day. That is really our mantra and that's our mission. We want everybody to listen to their skin, give it what it needs and don't give it what it doesn't need. That's our final message. You guys can follow us on Glow Recipe and Sarah Underbar Glow, Christine Underbar Glow. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you, ladies. Thank Thank you you. for having us. All right. Bye, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Glow Recipe founders Sarah Lee and Christine Chang. Tune in next time when I'll be interviewing the always entertaining and insightful Kiki Palmer. Don't forget to subscribe to the Allure podcast and give us five stars if you liked this conversation. 